Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're hot-headed or cool as a cucumber, we all have buttons that don't like to be pressed and triggers that we really want to avoid. But what do you do when the inevitable happens and something or more like someone causes us to snap? We're talking about doing the hard work for ourselves, for de-escalating confrontation and improving communication on 90 Day The Last Resort sessions. I'm Sukanya Christian. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, so you already know that some of our 90 Day faves are really starting to struggle. Angela put the hot in hot tub and got into an explosive back and forth with Ed's fiance, Liz, after Angela defended Ed in a group argument. And Jovi seems to be having a really hard time understanding Yara's reasoning for hiding the fact that she's been taking birth control. It seems as though everyone at the resort is using fighting words, but not knowing how to effectively and kindly fight back. Dr. Jamie Lacey from the 90 Days, the last resort is back to unpack what went down and give us a scoop on what's the heart of this issue. Is it productive communication, healthy conflict resolution, and quite frankly, can they put in the work to get it done? After all, change really needs to start from within. Dr. Janie Lacey is a veteran in mastering communication and healthy conflict resolution, and she has years of experience helping couples with the same issue. How do you recognize the red flag situation in communication and how does that play out in long-term relationships where basically you start taking each other for granted? Suki, we can probably spend uh, hours talking about red flags and and especially (laughs) in relationships and communication, but I will give you some of the hallmarks that I see, especially in couples therapy. The first one, hands down, is when we're looking at control issues. And I'm not just talking about controlling behavior and the other person. It's trying to control how they see whatever the conflict is. Because I will sit with couples and constantly they're trying to get the other person to see their perspective and they're arguing over perspective. So when you're 
constantly seeing someone that's not necessarily hearing you, but they want to invest in you seeing their point of view and there's no wiggle room for them to even see your perspective, right? So that's one of the things that we'll see is there's control issues, but we'll also see a lack of respect and they will use that as their standard. If they came from a family where they're yelling and screaming at each other, then they think that's normal. That's abusive, right? So they'll come in there and they'll even try to bring that stuff into the therapy room, whether it's calling each other's name, it's devaluing each other. It's just disrespecting that relationship. And it's hard to come back once we start seeing some of that type of red flag in a relationship. And then another big one is dishonesty. And dishonesty is not just someone lying about what's happening. It's also them withholding information. They're omitting information. Well, it's because you didn't ask me this, or it's because you did And they'll kind of use that and they get into this argument over, well, you didn't ask me this, versus they know that they were hiding something and deliberately holding back information on purpose. So we'll see that dishonesty in many ways. And then, you know, some other red flags we'll see is just possessiveness or jealousy. And that's where they're being in that triggered state. And again, trying to control the narrative or trying to control how the other person is seeing the situation, which will make them feel safe. Because when we get into that place where control is entering into relationship dynamic, not to make excuses for people, but you, most of the time it's coming because they need some type of security, especially when I see women do it more than men. It's like if they don't feel secure in a relationship, then that's when the control tactics come into play. Mm. There's other things that I could talk about, like avoidance of communication. One of the number one predictors of the demise of a relationship, Suki, and people coming into couples therapy is not necessarily dishonesty or cheating. It's actually habitual avoidance of communication. They're not talking about the tougher things that's happening, the conflict in the relationship, they continuously avoid it because it's just going to be like the mold behind the wall. It's going to eventually come down. You know, what we'll see, Suki, like, for example, people will come in and they're like, well, we don't fight. We don't argue. We get along great, except for this. (laughs) I love the except. Right, exactly. But that's not necessarily something to brag about. Avoidance of conflict is not healthy. And also what I want to tell people is that sometimes you have to go back and address things for yourself to emotionally move forward in a healthy relationship that's going to be good for everyone. I just want to talk about de-escalation. What is it in the basic sense? When we talk about de-escalation in the sense of couples and communication, when couples are triggered, they're in a triggered state and they're reacting to each other. It's like one barking dog is reacting to another barking dog. And to de-escalate would mean we'd have to get them back to a stable place, a stable place where their pulse is under 100. They're using more of their thinking brain. They're looking from a logical standpoint where there's more logic to the conversation and there's more emotion. Because when couples in particular are trying to communicate when they are in an escalated state. That's where there's a lot of harm. There's a lot of damage. There's a lot of toxic traits that can come out. So we prefer, even if one person, Suki, is de-escalated and one person is escalated, the person who is not in an escalated state has the most power. Mm. And we try to teach that to couples, that if someone is in an escalated state, they don't necessarily have the power or willpower to kind of move to that de-escalated state without certain things happening, right? Sometimes that's pulling back, not engaging in the conversation, or we can use that other person to show empathy, to have active listening, to engage with them in a way that they feel heard and seen and loved. We all deserve healthy relationships, and we all need to first understand the relationship with ourselves. So that's interesting that you talk about our relationship with ourselves. I don't think we're ever taught to have a relationship with ourselves. We're not. You know, there's no handbook. As a parent myself, there's no handbook when we are raising children. We all have to just do 
the best we can. And it has to be what we call good enough parenting, right? But when it comes to the skills, the tools that our parents are parenting us, those are going to be our first exposure to how we see ourselves. It's what we call the parental mirror. So how our parents look at us or how we look at our kids and how they see themselves through our eyes is the first self-reflection that we understand about loving and looking at ourselves. It's through the parental mirror. Generally speaking, what we do like to say is show me how you are loved and I will show you how you love. Words that we use like attachment theory, like how do we attach to our our parents? Because that's going to also show how we attach in our romantic relationships as an adult. And this is why I'm a big believer that we have to have a PhD in our own history. We go to the school of everybody else, including me, right? We go to school of everyone else. But the school that we all need to go to is understanding why we do the things that we do. Why do we love the way that we love? Why do we pick the partners that we pick? And why do we also have the toxic traits that we all have until we deal with them? Dr. Janie, I thank you so much for that insight. So even if you're not in a romantic relationship, good communication is crucial to maintaining healthy connections with anyone, your partner, your friends, your mom, your colleague, anybody. But the road to understanding the importance of that can be a little rocky for some. And that's what we have seen in our good friend, Angela. Angela actually stepped in during a heated argument at the hot tub to defend Ed. But when Ed's Beyonce Liz got involved in a way that Angela didn't like, well, things got super intense. It's only after Dr. Lacey has a conversation with Angela that she gets to the root of her volatile behavior. So let's hear a snippet of what you said to her in therapy and then just dive in there and see what we can take away from it. I just get sick of Liz playing the victim. When Liz made that comment, like, um, all night you've talked over me, it just reminded me of Michael, like, Mm. you're just lying dead in my damn face. All right. You're up, Dr. Cheney. It feels like that was a huge trigger for Angela. Tell us what she shared with you. So what we got out of that conversation is Angela coming to a place where she realized that it was a trigger that she was reacting to, not necessarily Liz herself. And when we think about those triggers, right, they stem from unresolved issues or past traumas. And she said, as we heard in the clip, that there's some past traumas and unresolved issues with Michael in particular, where there's been lies and there's been deception. So when she feels like someone is not being honest and when she feels like someone is not being forthcoming... It just sends her through the roof. Was that an aha moment for her to say, oh, what I'm seeing mirrored with Liz and Ed's relationship is actually the mirror that I see for myself and Michael? Did she have that like, woo, okay, I got this. In our therapy session, she came to that realization, but not in the moment, right? In that triggering, okay, okay. Mo- in that triggering <laughs> moment, she's she's reacting, right? She's reacting, she's triggered. And when we are triggered, we get temporarily insane, right? In that moment, (laughs) you're just reacting. And in that moment, someone may be telling you something, but your brain is not going to register. But when she was able to be in a calm state in therapy and she was able to reflect and able to work through the things that she was feeling and experiencing, she was able to make that connection that it was tied to her unresolved issues with Michael. How can we manage other people's emotional baggage while still honoring our own emotional needs and trying to maintain a healthy relationship. The first thing, Suki, is that we all need to realize that we come into relationship 
with baggage. (laughs) So that's number one, our self-awareness to realize that before we can manage someone else, we need to know our own because there is a therapy called Imago Day Therapy. And what that pretty much means is that we are going to be, and hold on, we are going to be, until we do our work, attracted to the person who has the worst traits in one of our caretakers that's unresolved and it's in our unconscious state. So essentially, we get partnered with someone that if they are in a self-aware state, that they can help heal us. But that's why that can't happen until you have two people that understand their baggage, they have a growth mindset, and then we're able to verbalize it. We're able to talk about the PhD of what are the things that trigger me, because then I'm able to have empathy for my partner. So the things that trigger them, I can have more empathy for it because I already understand the things that trigger me and I know what I need in those moments. Okay, hold up, hold up. I need to unpack what you just said because there was a lot of knowledge being thrown at me. So you said that we are attracted to the person in our childhood that is most like the things that are unresolved in us. Is that a correct way of saying that? Yes, but we don't consciously know that. No, but but we're picking that person because we're feeding something that we intrinsically need. Is that what you're saying? Yes, but we call it chemistry. We call it attraction. We call it, you know, I have a connection. Right? We say all these things. I found my twin flame. I found the one. We have all these fantasies that we attach to, but we are yet to know the storm that they're going to bring, which is an opportunity for healing. That is amazing because I've heard all of that and I think I've done all of that. And that's why they've all failed miserably. Thank you so much. (laughs) I also think like, you know, vulnerability is often not easy. And, you know, we get into this concept and I feel like we've seen this a lot in the 90 day franchise sometimes. It's like the love me as I am concept. Take me as I am. But is that really a fair concept in having a real healthy relationship? Not at all. I hear that all the time in therapy as well. Yeah. And there's a difference with us having self-acceptance, meaning that we have basic things that we bring to the table, our personality. We have certain ways of how we behave in the world. Right. That's a place of acceptance. But what I hear this term usually refers to as someone's bad behavior. Well, I just don't communicate like that. I don't talk about my emotions. So usually people use that as a defense mechanism to protect the things that they're yet to be vulnerable about. So when I hear that term, it's usually in a place of defense or it's usually in a place of to qualify their bad behavior, using it in a dysfunctional way. (laughs) Yeah. Love me as I am. You know, you've used it before. You know, we're all guilty. Raise your hand if you're listening right now. So how can someone help break down those those walls on a road to healthy conflict resolution? Because I feel like that's something that we don't learn. And we know that communication is really the way to get to you know, our primary emotion of want and need and desire and all of the things that really make us whole. Well, the first thing, if we have to all admit that we all have an ego, we all have an ego that says, I'm perfect. There's nothing wrong with me. Don't give me any criticism, right? Yeah. And the reason why I start with that is because it's important for us to have self-awareness. We cannot change our communication style, how we show up in a relationship until I can say to myself, you know, Janie, hmm, you get very defensive whenever someone gives you criticism, right? So that's an example of somebody first being able to be self-aware to admit to that. Then we have to get to a place where we separate our behavior to who we are. Most people get very defensive when they get criticism because they feel like someone's attacking them and they don't know how to separate that. And obviously I see this mostly in couples counseling. If someone's giving their partner a feedback and you can see almost the person is already putting their bullets in the gun to shoot back versus being able 
to lean in and say, well, is there any truth to this? Because if we can ask ourselves, any of us, if we can ask ourselves when someone's giving us feedback that we don't like, it's making us feel very defensive, if we can even take a few seconds to say, is there any truth in that? We call it the window of tolerance. We're increasing our window of tolerance to sit in places and spaces that are uncomfortable for us. And that is... Suki, the hallmark of a growth mindset. Because in order for couples to get to that, we have to have an ability to say, you know what? I don't know everything. I'm still learning about how I'm showing up in this world. I'm willing to get feedback from people who I know. And I'm not talking about abusive relationships, from people that I know that truly do love me. I may not like what they're saying. It feels like a porcupine right now, but I'm going to lean in to see if there's any truth to that. And then I'm going to take some time to reflect on it. If we can do those basic, and they sound really basic, but they're very hard, very, very basic tenets of who we are, then we'll be able to have the ability to start entering into healthy conflict resolution, because that means that we can have emotional regulation. We can control our emotions. I can hear difficult things about me. I'm not going to attack you because you're telling me some type of feedback. It's what we call holding space. I can hold space for someone that gives me feedback without making it about them. Well, you do this too, or what about this? And then couples start getting into the tit for tat. It's like watching them in a sandbox. All right, everybody, coming up, we're going to dig deeper into Dr. Janie's revealing conversation with Angela. I'm not taking it. I took it a whole year with my husband, lying, cheating, especially if you're right in my face telling me I've done something I ain't. I do go off because I'm, t- I'm not taking it from no one. And Jovi's coping with Yara's reveal about taking birth control without his knowledge. Why was he so angry? And we'll also hear from one of our listeners who may understand our conversation a little too well. I'm Sukanya Krishnan, and this is 90 Day The Last Resort Sessions. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
I'm Sukanya Krishnan, and this is 90 Day The Last Resort Sessions. So how can we remain cordial during conflict? And is self-awareness the key to self-worth? 90 Day Resident Therapist Dr. Janie Lacey is here to give us more insight into what we need to know. So let's talk about that. Awareness, self-worth, all of those things kind of go hand in hand, don't they? They are all in the same bucket, I would say, right? So one of the things that in order for us to have true self-awareness where we are continuously growing is one bucket. And the other bucket is when we have self-worth, those are root issues, right? Because uh, self-worth means that we can have self-esteem, right? So sometimes people use those two interchangeably. But self-worth says, you know what? I know I'm worthy of respect. I know I'm worthy to have space in this world. But all of those things, in order to get to that place, we have to have maturity. Research shows that 20% of the population comes from a secure family, meaning that we've come from a family where we have the skills to to navigate conflicts, we have self-love, and 20%, it sounds like a lot, it's not. So the rest of us had to learn to navigate these streets, emotional streets ourselves. And part of that is we have to learn to have maturity, to be able to be self-aware, to have feedback, to be able to grow. And we can't have a place of maturity, Suki, until we also understand where we're all frozen at, right? So most people get frozen emotionally when they've had either the greatest amount of trauma that have occurred somewhere in their childhood or they've had the death by a thousand cuts. So I'll use myself for example. My frozen part that I discovered in my own work was at 14. My parents got divorced. It was a lot of trauma and chaos going on in my family. So on a bad day in my relationships, it doesn't matter. Husband, it doesn't matter with friends. If you caught me on a trigger day, I was like a 14-year-old girl putting my heels in the ground, Right. And that's where we first want to understand and we have to have enough maturity to say, well, you know what? I do act like a child and let me figure out why I go back to 14, right? I was frozen emotionally and that has to be unfrozen and unlocked in order for me to get to more mature states so that I can have self-awareness, that I do understand I'm worthy of healing, I'm worthy of love, I'm worthy of respect. So how someone deals with conflict in the midst of their triggered state, regardless if she comes off or he comes off in public in person as having high self-esteem and high self-worth. It's in those moments that their true self-worth comes out and how someone disrespects them, how someone shows up and treats them less than they deserve. Tell me the other concept of a thousand cuts. I don't understand that one. Is it repeating behavior again and again and again? So when we look at trauma therapy in its most basic form, we have what we would call big T traumas. This is where someone has experienced sexual abuse. They've went through a traumatic car accident where we can completely see their trauma. The small T's is what I would refer to the death by a thousand cuts, which usually comes into the form of emotional neglect. This is where we can't see the trauma, but it's underneath the surface. A common example, and I can use this from my own history, is coming home with your report card. You have all the A's but you have that one C and dad looking at that one C saying, Janie, what happened here? And that being a repetitive, repetitive motion in my childhood, it's like you do all these great things, but I'm going to focus on the one thing that you didn't get right, the one thing that you didn't get perfect, right? So then what happens is we all develop core wounds. So what do you think happened with little Janie that she developed a core wound of not good enough, right? So it's not by accident that in my adulthood, I could be perfectionism, I could be driven and ambitious. There's two sides of the coin, right? But that would be a core wound. And that's not something that anyone can see about me. 
That's the current below the surface. And that's actually what we need to know more than the ones that we can name and claim them. It's the ones that we have yet to deal with. And it's usually the emotional neglect. It's usually the good stuff that we did not get that we needed to get in order to have healthy relationships as an adult. All right. Before the break, Angela shared to Dr. Lacey her specific reason behind why her outburst toward Liz was so defensive. But Dr. Lacey had some questions to ask in order for Angela to make that powerful breakthrough. Take a listen and then we'll discuss. Michael's lied so much, he's traumatized me, and I'm not taking no one standing in my face. So it was her tone and her body language yes. and what she was and, saying and, and, that was It made triggering. me go in defense. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked at the prison. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, something that I always take with me everywhere, too. You know, um, you, you, you come at me defensive, I automatically go in defense mode. Mm-hmm. I can't help that. And mm-hmm. maybe that's my problem. That was very telling right there because you're offering her a safe space to talk and then she was able to open up. But if you come at somebody, uh, especially in Angela's purpose, she just, she goes into prison mode like she was talking about. When we get into a triggered state, and this is the non-self-aware, unhealed part of ourselves, we go into fight or flight. And Angela goes into fight mode. She sees red, you know, you come at her a certain way, all things go, right? And collectively, we understand that that comes from her childhood. It comes from repetitive, dysfunctional relationships. And it just comes to this place where, okay, you're going to come for me. Now I'm going to come for you, right? Goes into this fight mode and it completely is her defense mechanism as she was able to come to this place. That's her way to protect herself and her protect herself. Some people retreat. Some people put a dog in a fight. Angela puts a dog in a fight. And part of her really getting to her healing journey was understanding understanding that that was a part of her that she used to protect herself. And that's also the part of her that everyone started to judge her on is that, you know what, you never know when Angela's going to go off. But she now understands that that was parts of her that's self-protecting. It's her defense mechanism. And she was never going to let people hurt her again. She's not saying that cognitively, but she acts out that behavior. So how do you think the distance in these specific circumstances is really straining Angela emotionally? I mean, she's been doing this for a while with her husband, Michael, in Nigeria. You know, distance in any romantic relationship, uh, Suki, has its positives and its negatives on the relationship. So first, let me say that it's not all bad. Sometimes people hear long distance and they assume certain things. But let me talk about some positives that I can see with Michael and Angela. For one, when you have the distance for them, for example, you'll see moments where they truly appreciate each other. And I don't believe that that could truly happen in their situation if there wasn't the distance. Like being apart really makes them miss each other's presence. And she says that, right? Uh, She says that she misses him. She wishes he was there um, at the couple's retreat. And then the distance also causes them to be able to allow some personal space to do some reflection. When the person's not constantly there, you can have some time to sit back. You can reflect. You can allow for some personal growth. And essentially, it can develop further love for each other, right? So those are some positives that I see in their relationship in particular, but I also see some negatives that occur. So that physical distance, Angela is a very sexual person. So there's a lack of her. (laughs) So there's a lack of her being able to have her physical intimacy with the man that she loves in any long distance relationship. 
people don't have access to each other in a sexual way to be able to connect in that way than they would if they were with each other every day. Yeah. And then I also see at times the emotional distance can be a challenge. And I think that applies to to people that are listening, that in their long distance relationship, there is going to be some positives. It does cause them to appreciate each other and to have their personal space to grow. And then those negatives where they don't have the physical intimacy and that can also lead to further them not bonding emotionally if they're not going to be intentional about connecting. Absolutely correct. I say yes to all of that. And also, ultimately, if you're in a long distance relationship, you really have to cultivate active listening skills to really be able to connect with your loved ones so far away. Also, there's a really big rift between Yara and Jovi that we haven't gotten around to yet. And we're talking about yearning for a connection and relatability and sameness. Jovi and Angela find themselves drinking and commiserating together late in the evening. Then Angela and Jovi's after our shenanigans woke her up at two in the morning and Yara clearly is not okay with this. You're my husband. And you choosing to go out and get drunk with Angela than spending time with me. Okay, you're choosing to fucking lie to me and hide shit from me, so what do, what do you want in return? That's disrespectful. Okay, you, you disrespected know, me and you got it back last Joby, time. Jovi, I did wrong and I admit it, but this is not right. Wow. So a lot to unpack there. We're hearing some retaliatory behavior from Jovi, who obviously is still reeling from Yara's revelation about taking birth control. What do you take from this exchange right here? Well, there's a lot that we can unpack from that exchange. Not everyone has the capacity and the skills to be able to say, okay, well, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? How am I going to deal with it? So most people can resort to being able to collude with other people who are going to you know, feed into a certain narrative. And sometimes that includes drinking. Sometimes that includes from other people, just kind of self-medicating type uh, behaviors. So when I hear that exchange, these are all the types of things that float into my, my mind as far as the coping skills or the, the lack of coping skills. And then, you know, as you were referring to it as retaliatory behavior is being around someone that can help him feel better um, in that particular situation. Then you have Jovi there uh, saying, I did this because you hurt me first. So how do you describe that tit for tat and what's happening in that part of the conversation? So in that moment, when people feel hurt and they feel betrayed, and if they don't have the skills and the tools to be able to deal with it, then sometimes they want you to feel that you've hurt them. So they're going to withdraw or they're going to resort to a variety of ways to try to hurt you back. But most couples will kind of keep it within a certain line as far as um, things that they can recover from. So a night drinking with Angela and colluding with her is recoverable in the big scheme of things versus him going out and doing something that would betray the vows of their relationship. But what role does self-awareness play in this specific moment where, you know, Jovi is coming in at 2 a.m.? He knows what should he do right there to, like, kind of understand her position and what should she do to understand his? So if we were to replay this and have little mics in their ears helping them deal <laughs> yes, with it in a healthy I would, situation. <laughs> I would love that. What would we do? Okay, let's role play. The, the, the first thing that he should do is first understand what she's feeling, right? And that can be what we would use in couples therapy as mirroring. You feel like I chose to go out instead of being with you, right? That's a basic mirroring. If you think about McDonald's, you want a you know, Big Mac and fries. You want a Big Mac and fries. So the basic skill that we could teach people is to mirror back so that the other person feels like you heard them. 
And the second thing would be for him to validate her experience. Again, we're talking about it from a healthy standpoint. You know, and I understand you are upset. You know, I went out and I was hanging out and I didn't call you. I should have been here with you. And, you know, that probably really sucked for you. Whatever. That he validates her experience, even though he may disagree with it. That takes a lot of maturity right there. Because a lot of times people feel like they can't validate someone's experience unless they agree with it. You don't have to agree with them. You can still validate their experience. And then you can go into, he can show her some type of empathy. I could imagine you probably felt unloved and like, I didn't care what was happening with you. Is that how you felt, right? So then he could have showed her some type of empathy to connect with her, which what I just did in a very rough, basic form is de-escalate because he was helping her feel seen, heard, and understood. And if she truly was feeling that, then she probably would have vented a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that sucked and blah, blah, blah. And he could have just stayed in that position of just mirroring, validating her without putting a dog in a fight defending himself. He can get to his stuff later. But in that moment, that's where the self-awareness, as you mentioned, the maturity, all the things come into play if we were to replay that in a healthy standpoint. (laughs) I feel like I learned so much. (laughs) Next time, instead of stewing when my husband is out with his friends, I'm going to be like, I understand you. I'm going to have tools. That's right. You're going to say you deserve to hang out with your friends. (laughs) I got you, baby. I got you. (laughs) All right. Now that we've been talking about self-love, we talked about individuality, growing and evolving in a relationship. But what if you've done all that work single? Dr. Janie, we have a listener here who submitted a letter about finally taking the plunge into romance. Let's take a listen to Sammy. I'm Sammy. I've been single a long time and I feel like a lot of peace and happiness is where I'm at in life. I enjoy my life and that a really good place and I would like to have a partner. I want one, but I don't need one. And I feel like I'm scared that I can't make space for someone in my life right now because I've become so stubborn and so set in my ways. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to settle, but I'm aware that relationships require this. And I feel that I'm at an impasse. I genuinely worry no one can make me as happy as I make myself. I do what I want. I take myself out on dates. I go on vacation by myself. I enjoy my own company. But I really would like someone to share these memories with. Every time I open a dating app, everything gives me the ick. These guys are so low effort. It just makes me retreat more and more into myself. Am I sabotaging myself and being unrealistic? Or do I wait for someone who fits perfectly into my life? Is that something that's even possible? Thank you. All right, Sammy. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. She's happier with her own life. And how many people we know are exactly in that position? You know, being in a relationship is making yourself vulnerable. And do you think Sammy is ready to take that plunge of being really vulnerable with herself? Because I feel like the ick when she says that is sort of like a protective stance. So when I hear her, I hear that the very fact that she's asking this question and that she's pondering it puts her on the path to being more ready to date. The best advice I would be able to give her or someone like her is to not go into the dating scene tied to the outcome. Go into the dating scene that I'm going to meet new people, I'm going to learn about myself, and I'm going to have fun. But if you go into a dating stage in your life and you're feeling anxious, you're feeling like, do I have these high standards? You're coming with all this energy. You're going to find exactly what you think you don't want to find. But if you are enjoying your life, which it sounds like she is, continue to enjoy your life because a relationship, especially for those of us that have been married, we understand that the mistake that you can make is you revolve your life around a 
relationship and you make that person your world, especially if we've gotten married young. So the one thing that you can do if you're in this place is to understand that you come first, you're the priority to continue to enjoy your life. But yes, you have to make room for someone else. But to go into the dating scene and not think about my standards or all these, just go and meet new people and have fun. And if you meet people, whether it's on the swiping on the app or actually going on a date and you realize that there's something about them that you cannot move past, that's okay. Maybe you just met a new friend. But what happens is they're so tied to the outcome. I got to find the one. He has to check all these boxes. And they're putting so much pressure on themselves. And I say, let's just get rid of the list. I do believe everyone needs a list, but get rid of the list and just go meet new people. Yeah, but I feel like Dr. Jaded, she is happy. Yes. She's kind of like, I've been single for years. I have a fulfilling life. I'm really happy. She's looking for a reason. So maybe she needs to delve into that aspect. Like, what is it that she wants a partner for? Is that a fair statement? That would be exactly what I would ask her, Suki, if she was on sitting in front of me on the couch, right? You have a fulfilling life. Do you feel like society's telling you you need to be in a relationship or is that truly what you want? But if she's saying she wants to share these experiences with someone, then before I would even give her any advice, to your point, we need to understand why. Okay, well, why do you want to share this experience with someone? Why, right? And getting her to the place of understanding her intention because if that is clear, then her answers will be clear without anyone else giving her advice. Because many times if we get to that place of our own intention and our own why, then we'll know exactly what we're looking for. Thank you, Dr. Janie. And thank you so much, uh, Sammy, for that wonderful letter. Next time, Dr. Janie Lacey is going to be back again to explain how intimacy is important to nurture for a strong sex life in your relationship. We're talking about sex and romance and all that good stuff. Till next time, everybody, I'm Sukanya Krishnan. Your conscience calls me Suki, and we will be back with the 90-Day Last Resort Sessions. The 90-Day Last Resort Sessions is produced by TLC and Sony Music Entertainment. TLC and WBD executive producers are Cameron Curtis and Margaret Kelly. The executive producers are Sarita Wesley and Jasmine Henley-Brown. Our senior producer is Medina Prawana, and our producer for this episode is Samara Lenga. And our associate producer is Jade Abdul-Malik. Engineering is done by Sam Baer, and our production manager is Tamika Balance-Kalasny. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.